This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching to the Gospel of Matthew. Today, we're in chapter 14. Our world is more confused about the idea of love than ever before. We can be heard to say we love chocolate, pets, and people, sometimes in the same sentence and often with the same intensity. It's an abstract concept that varies widely. But the Bible offers us a concrete view of love. In fact, the Bible says that God is love. And that's what we'll witness today as Jesus demonstrates his love for people and focuses his attention on their needs rather than his own unlike any king ever known. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. Find your places in Matthew 14. We're going to talk about verses 13 through 21. Matthew says this, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, The place is desolate and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about five thousand men who ate, besides women and children." What this scene shows us, and what I want you to see here, church, is three aspects of the love of Christ that will draw you even closer to Him. So let's go through them. The first one, according to verses 13 through 14, the true king sacrifices. And that is the approachability of His person. Now, when we think of a king, we picture someone unapproachable, an autocrat for whom everybody in the realm must sacrifice resources, time, and even their own lives. But in this passage, Matthew presents us a different kind of king, a king who sacrifices for his people rather than demand sacrifices from his people, the one who blesses people with his availability. See, Jesus stops what he's doing in order to meet the needs of the people around him. He sacrifices leisure. He sacrifices comfort and convenience for them in the preview of the ultimate sacrifice that will take place on Calvary, not too long after this. The gospel writer starts the scene with Jesus' response to John's martyrdom, like I mentioned before. Obviously, that didn't surprise Jesus, who is omniscient, but grieved him profoundly, so much that he needed time to go to a secluded place. He's not afraid of Herod. He's not doing this because he wants to move away and be away from Herod. That's not the point. The point is, he needed to take his men on a staff retreat. Why? Because ministry demands energy. 
particularly their ministry here. Mark told us that there were many people coming and going. They did not even have time to eat because ministry was consuming all their time and their energy here. So Jesus, he needed to build his team. These guys were about to face the crucifixion. They were about to endure a tremendous amount of distress, so they needed to spend time with Christ. They needed to spend time alone in a secluded place. He is preparing them for the difficult days ahead. Now, the apostles also needed to recharge the batteries. Why? Because Matthew 10 verse 16 tells us that Jesus sent them as sheep in the midst of wolves. So when you're sent to do ministry as sheep in the midst of wolves, you need time to recharge the batteries from time to time. Otherwise, you will function on a deficit. That is what they're doing here. And what better way to renew their strength than to fellowship with Christ away from the crowds? By this time, the news about the kingdom of heaven had already spread. That is why there were a lot of people wanting to hear about the kingdom of heaven and wanting to see Jesus Christ and wanting to be healed. And the people of that region, they wanted to verify the message from the apostles. Now, church, anybody else would have considered them an inconvenience. Anybody else would have thought, wait a minute, this is our time off. Don't these people understand how come they have the audacity to interrupt the king? You see, because that is our vision. That is our picture of an unapproachable king, but not Jesus Christ. He is the approachable king, and he sacrifices for his people. He sacrifices his comfort because he has compassion on them, the Bible says. In fact, Mark 6 verse 34 tells us that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And remember, the reason why they were like sheep without a shepherd church is because the self-proclaimed religious leaders of Israel were complete failures. The scribes and the Pharisees were leading people away from God by their legality and their legalism. And therefore, the people were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus could have announced to the crowds that this meeting is not open to the public. This is the apostolic team that needs time to refresh. So get out of here. This is internal business. But both Mark and Matthew share tremendous insight here into the heart of the approachable king. And this is what I don't want you to miss, church. He loved people enough to cancel a meeting that originally was not open to the public. He loved people enough to change his plans in order to meet their needs. And that is key here for us to understand the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ. He stops running the universe if need be in order to attend to your needs. He's never too busy. And besides preaching... Jesus took care of physical needs of his followers. This was a, an impromptu healing service accompanied by preaching, of course. He would never just heal them without preaching the good news of the kingdom. And because he taught them about the kingdom of heaven, according to Luke 9, verse 11. So he took this opportunity to not only heal their physical needs miraculously and preach to them about the kingdom of heaven, he illustrated the realities of the future millennial rule by giving people a preview of a time when members of his kingdom would have a body free from disease. That is the purpose of those miracles. Because he was teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. So he was giving them an illustration saying, here, I'm going to heal you now so that you can understand the realities of the millennial rule when I come back and rule here from the earth. Now, these people died again. This wasn't a transformation into a sinless body, but this was a preview that he was giving them. So what's the lesson for us then, church? We need solitude, of course. We need rest. We need to recharge and refresh, especially those of us who are in ministry because we are serving people. And when we serve people, people have needs. They have emotional hurts. And we need to take care of them. And those of us who are shepherds, we're dealing with sheep. Do you know that sheep bite back from time to time? 
So we need to recharge every once in a while and, and refresh. If we don't cultivate the habit, we will run on a deficit, and before long, we will have nothing to give. You want to see a burned-out pastor is... Tell me I need to be here 24 hours a day, and it, this will be a short experience. We know that because the Bible teaches that in other parts too. But the point is, we must operate by this kind of sacrificial love that we just read about. In other words, we should be okay when God interrupts our plans in order to serve people, because that is what Christ is doing here. We should be okay instead of being frustrated when we get a phone call, for example, on our day off. Or when we, when, when there's a need that we need to meet that can't wait. Sometimes God asks us to do this, to sacrifice leisure, to sacrifice comfort, convenience, for example, to attend to other people's needs. But notice what I didn't say. He did not say sacrifice your family for the sake of ministry because that would be counterproductive and unbiblical. We never compromise truth, of course, but we must sacrifice personal preferences. For the sake of others. Now, our flesh resists that. Our flesh will cry out and resist self-sacrifice because we want others to sacrifice for us or to give up their preferences for us. But here's what I learned earlier on in my ministry. I don't even remember who told me this or maybe if I read this in a book, but that stuck with me. We don't use people to accomplish ministry. We use ministry to reach people. Because they are the reason we are in ministry. Of course, God is the reason we're in ministry, but in order to serve people. And Jesus demonstrated this principle clearly here in this passage. His compassion prompted him to change his schedule, to accommodate the needs of the crowd. In church, you can approach him today just like that crowd did, knowing that you will find him. Because God promised a long time ago in Jeremiah 29 verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So the promise that we have is every time we seek God, He is there, He's available. People may be too busy for you, but He will never be. He created time. And I want you to know that He stands ready to meet your needs today, whatever they are. All you have to do is run to Him like the multitude in that scene. Now, He may not heal you physically like He did here in this case. This was a, a special time when He was here on earth as part of His earthly ministry. But here's a promise from God's Word. From Paul in Philippians 4 verse 19, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So church, God will supply all your needs. Not all your wants, but all your needs. Not some of them, all your real needs based on His love and compassion and His power. Let me state this in poetic form, straight from the Bible. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So friend, come to Him today. He will meet your needs. He will stop what He is doing to attend to your real spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. Again, not necessarily felt needs. You know, sometimes we disagree with God on what we need, don't we? But he will meet every true need that we have. Why, church? Because the true king sacrifices. And that is the approachability of his person. But I want you to know secondly, according to verses 15 through 18, not only that the true king sacrifices, but that the true king serves. And that is the reliability of his power. When we think of a despot, we picture someone followed by an entourage of servants with people on the waiting list eager to serve, eager for the opportunity to serve their leader. 
Now, Matthew shows us a different kind of king, one who serves and doesn't demand to be served. Now, how do I know that? Because Jesus himself articulates that in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45. Listen to this. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Those are words of Jesus Christ. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So church, the true king serves and he loves to serve. The four gospel writers, like I said earlier, record the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 here because this is a climax of the entire earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, John clarifies the motivation of the crowds when they follow Jesus Christ. According to John 6, verses 1 through 2, he says that a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. So they saw the signs, they were motivated for the ability of receiving a miracle, so they followed Jesus Christ. And he also clarifies that this took place close to the Passover feast. Again, there's a connection there. The disciples knew that Jesus could create food. There's no question about that. They have been with Jesus long enough to realize that he can perform miracles. He can multiply things. He can order food to be delivered to them, not through Grubhub or anything like that, but through miracle. They had witnessed the display of Christ's power for an entire day by that time. They were witnessing Jesus Christ heal limbs, heal people's sickness. So they had no question in their mind that Jesus Christ could perform miracles and feed them. They were exhausted by the logistics of this impromptu service. So they desire some downtime. And their desire for downtime trumped their concern for the multitudes. You see the contrast here between Jesus' approach to this and their approach here? And they were so tired that they did not realize, church, the foolishness of giving Jesus instructions. Did you notice this? They're saying, send them away, Jesus. In church, we do the exact same thing, don't we? We give Jesus instructions. That may be motivated by stress, may be motivated by anxiety, or we're tired, spiritually speaking. We're so tired that we say, Jesus Christ, we need that to happen tomorrow. Jesus, you don't understand. You are late. You need to do that. We say, God, let me inform you, in case you didn't know. I am not getting any younger, God. And these projects haven't materialized. And we both know, God, that you cannot make me truly happy unless they do. So, Lord, here's what you need to do. I mean, it's foolishness, but we do it all the time. Church, I confess, I have done that many times. And I've said to Jesus, Jesus, this is what you need to do in your church. Fill in the blank. But I report to you that I have repented from my pride. This is a prideful proposition here, and we do it all the time. Now, Jesus could have rebuked them for their audacity, and he could have said, you giving me instructions? This, don't you realize this is not how you speak to a king? But no. Notice his response to them in verse 16. They do not need to go away. Okay, so far so good. In other words, he's telling them they are exactly where I want them to be. And furthermore, church, by saying this, he's also telling them, you are exactly where I want you to be. You don't need rest now. I will grant that to you later. For now, I want you to feed them. Whoa, you want what, Jesus? I want you to feed them. Now, why is Jesus telling them that, church? Because they're getting ready to lead the church. They are going to be the ones who are going to bring forth the Christian movement after Jesus is gone and back to heaven. So they needed to feed God's people. So Jesus is giving them an opportunity for practical training when he says, you feed them. So instead of listening to their instruction, Jesus instructs them. And if Jesus would have done what they asked, 
The disciples would have missed the opportunity to witness one of the greatest displays of his divinity in a crucial part of their training. Why, church? Because these are the men who are going to have to feed God's flock after Jesus has gone to heaven. And obviously, church, Jesus knew that they were unable to do that. And that's exactly the point we want to see here. Jesus knew that they could not feed the crowd. So you're saying, Pastor, is he giving them an impossible task? No, he's giving them a divinely equipped task. In beautiful harmony with another gospel, Jesus is telling them basically, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15 verse 5, he says that to them, apart from me, you can do nothing. So go ahead and feed them. Now, those men needed to learn this because not long after that, he would commission them to make disciples of all the nations. So they needed to learn once and for all to operate by this principle that apart from Christ, no one can do anything. The lesson applies to us in the same way. Church, you want to conclude you can't do anything apart from Christ. You want to come to the conclusion that you do not have the resources needed to accomplish what he wants you to do. That's a healthy thing to conclude because apart from him, you can't do anything, not even breathe. How do we know that? Because Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, he upholds all things by the word of his power. We can't even breathe without him. Paradoxically, we get in trouble precisely when we think we don't need him, precisely when we think we can accomplish what he wants us to accomplish apart from him. So you don't want to answer his call, whatever his call is for your life, with the following sentence. Step aside, Jesus. I got this covered. I can be the man or woman you want me to be. You just watch. That is a disaster waiting to happen. Not only for you, but for everybody around you. So let me introduce you to some folks here from Scripture who altered history because they understood they could do nothing apart from divine enabling grace. They recognized their need for God. You remember Moses, the short-tempered fugitive, murdered, turned deliverer, couldn't even speak right, and he admitted, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? That's in Exodus 3 verse 11. God's answer, Certainly, I will be with you. Gideon, the fearful man turned valiant warrior, acknowledge, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. Judges 6, verse 15, God's answer, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Isaiah, the dirty-mouthed prophet, lamented, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In church, if the Lord had not cleansed his lips, the prophet would have never volunteered. Lord, here I am, send me. Isaiah 6 verse 8. So these are only examples, church, of people who recognize that apart from God, they can't do anything. And they verbalize their complete inability. And God answered back to them saying, I will be with you. And that is why you're going to accomplish what I want you to accomplish. In church, it's the same for us. When God wants you to accomplish something, and by the way, he wants you to be something more than he wants you to do something. When you come to him and say, Lord, I can't be that kind of a man. I don't have the power in me to be that kind of a wife. I don't have the power in me to be that kind of a son or a daughter because I am a sinner, because I don't, I have a poor upbringing, whatever the case is. You are in the perfect place to be used of God because he's going to look at your life and he says, yes, you will because I am with you. Because apart from me, you cannot do anything. 
And that is the lesson he's teaching the disciples here. So fellow believers, whatever God has called you to do, the task is always greater than your ability. Don't ever forget that. And that is on purpose. Because why would you seek divine enablement if you can do it? Why would you pray if you think you could qualify to represent Jesus Christ in the world that is desperately in need of Him? You may be able to produce impressive results from a human perspective, yes, but I assure you, unless you bring your limitations to Christ like these guys did, whatever you accomplish will not be of spiritual and eternal value. The true king sacrifices, the true king serves, but I want you to see finally here that the true king satisfies, and that is the sufficiency of his presence, verses 19 through 21. When we think of a monarch We picture a high-maintenance leader who needs constant pampering lest he unleash his wrath unto his realm. But Matthew describes a different kind of king here, one who seeks the satisfaction of his people. See, he's not seeking to be satisfied. He's seeking to satisfy his people. This is what's going on here, church. I want you to see. Jesus Christ is showing them that he is the creator. Because remember, when you read the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 20, God created the fish of the sea on day 5. Here is Jesus Christ creating fish. These are newly created fish, not just nearly caught, newly created, accompanied by bread, the best meal these people ever had. The tired disciples worked overtime that evening, distributing the meals. Again, the logistics of that, imagine that. Jesus gave Esther instructions to them, saying, gather up the leftovers so that nothing will be lost, John 6, verse 12. And that teaches us that Jesus is not into losing anything. He gives us more than we need, more than we deserve, for sure, but nothing is lost. And when they obeyed this, when they collected everything, John 6, verse 13 tells us that they collected 12 baskets. In church, that is one per disciple. Matthew shows the abundance of food that Jesus created out of nothing. But John records their reaction. John 6, verses 14 through 15. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come to the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So the crowds acknowledged the Messiahship of Jesus Christ and wanted to crown him right there, hoping that he would overthrow the Herodian dynasty and the Romans. But no, God had a different plan. And the following timeless lessons emerge from this scene, church, I want us to see. And we'll finish with those. First, Christ proves his divinity by doing something that only God can do. Only God can create things out of nothing. We can make food of existing ingredients, but only he has the power to order people's needs, whatever they are, miraculously if necessary, but not necessarily always the case. Sometimes Jesus will meet your needs, not necessarily miraculously. When we pray for people to be healed, I don't care if God's going to use a miracle or not. I just want that person to be healed. Secondly, Jesus often provides more than we need. And that's the picture of those 12 leftover baskets here. And the reason he does that, church, is so that he can demonstrate his generosity. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 6 verse 8, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. And by the way, that's a secret that Paul learned when he says in Philippians 4 verse 12, in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So these people here had needs, and now they went from having needs to enjoying abundance in the same day. And finally, along the same lines, here's the third lesson. We must accept his provision. He never falls short. Church, always wanting more may be symptomatic of an ungrateful heart. 
Because if we allow ungratefulness to develop, our soul becomes restless. And we always want more. We always want what's next. And we never enjoy the present. Never forget this. If you're always living in anxiety because you want whatever's next, the next season in life, whether that's marriage, children, grandchildren, career, more money, the house, whatever, you will never enjoy the present that God has provided for you now. If you don't enjoy God's provision for you now, you will not become content with more, believe me, because it will be a matter of time before that more is not enough. So we need to learn to thank God now, for example, for your job, for your family, for your church. Why? Because God is meeting your emotional, physical, and spiritual needs through them now. And here's a final thought. I wonder how many in that crowd considered the indescribable privilege of having dinner with Christ instead of just enjoying the free food. See, their greatest blessing, church, was the company, not the meal. For this reason, I ask you, my friends, do you desire the giver of the blessing more than the blessing itself? Would you spend time at his feet, enjoying the security of his closeness, even if he doesn't grant you what you request, or he doesn't meet your need immediately, or your perceived need? So church, yes, we treasure the provision of Christ, but nothing compares to his presence. You may be quarantined in a hospital room, you may be shut in at home, bound in a wheelchair, locked up in a jail cell, restricted by circumstances beyond your control, but you need his presence more than you need relief. Did you know that? More than relief, I guarantee you. You need Christ's presence in your life. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.